And so we might say this is an experience of the void. Hey everyone, Josh here. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Void podcast. Today, I'm chatting with author of Eastern Span and The Palmer Hotel, a collection of spooky short stories set over a century in a downtown hotel, Rick Polis. If the description of the book sounds familiar to you, it's probably because you've seen Rick respond to an awful tweet with the same description. Rick became well-known on Twitter earlier this year for his tweets promoting the book in response to Twitter's most controversial and awful takes. Rick explains how the Palmer Hotel became a meme, how his Twitter ban created a Barbara Streisand effect of sorts for his book, and why the website should be deleted entirely if humanity wants a chance to save itself. Further, I'm delighted to announce that Rick will be signing copies of The Palmer Hotel at Digital Void's Halloween-themed Meme in the Moment Festival on Wednesday, October 27th at Caveat New York City. Join speakers including Garbage Day's Ryan Broderick, Insider's Kat Tenbarge, NBC's Callan Rosenblatt, The Verge's McKenna Kelly, cultural strategist Matt Klein, and freelance culture writer Moises Mendez II. The event will be hosted by memeticist Dr. Jamie Cohen. Tickets are available now at caveat.nyc or at digitalvoid.media. Rick, you've been a freelance writer for years, with bylines ranging from the New York Times and Vice to Wired and The Atlantic. But this year, you became well-known for your Reply Guy tweets about your books Eastern Span and The Palmer Hotel, a collection of spooky short stories set over a century at a downtown hotel. Can you walk me through your journey as a writer and share how you, as an independent author, decided to try to get rid of the hundreds of books you needed to? Let's see. That's a great question. <laughs> I, think, like, I think that the story of my entire entire career and a lot of my life is just based on desperation. And so in terms of like the freelance career, that was all, you know, desperation to try to just make enough money to pay rent or to eat or things like that. Um, in terms of the books, once I like self-published the books, uh, Eastern Span being the first one, I published about 2000 books and I had about 300 left to get, get rid of. And so there were 300 or so that were just in my closet that I did not want to lug around with me wherever the next place I moved to. And they were there. And so they're like, what do I do with this? Like, do I set up a table in a park? Do I go door to door? Do I just like put them in the trunk of a car and, and throw them in the river or something? And so what I ended up doing, because, you know, during COVID, everyone was sitting at home and not doing much and just like scrolling on Twitter or, or whatever. And I started to kind of realized that one way I could get publicity for this book is just by boldly replying to any of like the top discourse topics of the day, which are always like the worst tweets that you'll see. Cause it's just the design, the design of the website is that people give their really awful thoughts and then everyone else says that they're idiots. And that's like just how the, the website works. But it's, it's because of that, like, look at this idiot mechanism a lot of people are looking at this idiot and sometimes they scroll down to see who else is making fun of them. And I started to put an ad for the book there. And I started in January and I kept on doing that for, um, you know, just like probably three, four five times a day, really kind of easy copy and paste type of type of deal. And maybe around April, people started to like, re like kind of like recognize me be like, Oh, that guy's still at it again. Oh, look at him. He's still, he's still going. And so then it became sort of a thing. Then it became like, 
people started to sort of meme it on their own where people that I didn't know and like just random, random people who didn't even follow me started to like copy and paste it an ad for my book as uh, sort of like a, a dunk on whatever that bad tweet was that was getting all like the publicity. So is this. So do you remember the first reply guy tweet that you did? And was that a viral hit? Or did you go through this period where maybe you had like a dozen or two dozen with literally no engagement? So the, fir- the first one I ever tried was one of the biggest hits that I had. And I think that if if that didn't work, I probably wouldn't like stopped. <laughs> but uh, the first one was a tweet by uh, Stephen A. Smith, NBA commentator, ESPN personality, and he uh, he did a tweet that was like here like here's a preview of my new show, and it was like a link, but it was like a link that didn't link to anything. It was just like an MP4 file format or something, and it was kind of like a a take. I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. But it was in reference to a tweet that he made like years and years ago that had become like a meme of just like, take a look, y'all, with like a a JPEG kind of like written out, but not linking to anything. And people just made fun of that for years. And so it happened again. And I happened to be like scrolling on Twitter as that went up like a minute, a minute later, or like as it was going up, I saw it like a minute after it initially got off. So it hadn't like gotten huge yet or anything, but I'm like, oh, this is going to like, this is going to be a really big tweet. Like people are going to get, get, go ape shit about this. And so I uh, I just tried, like, here's like a real quick description of my book. Here's a way to Venmo me. And here's a way to PayPal me. I don't think I even put an image of the book yet. And uh, and it got like half a million views within a few hours. And so, and it, and it got like people commenting, a few people like quote tweeting, be like, hey, look at this guy. I, and then I ended up selling like eight books off of that single tweet. And so because of that success, then I kind of got addicted to it. If I didn't have that, I don't think I would have done it as much. But but yeah, I mean, the hit rate would be maybe one out of every 10 would do pretty well. And then the other nine, you know, you look at the views and it'd be like 100 views or something or like one like or whatever. And so you go through three or four months of trying to get engagement. And then there's a moment when you literally become a meme. Right. Yeah. And I, it's tough to know when that moment was. I had a few, I think the first, like, the first time that somebody with any type of, like, Twitter clout, I think, noticed it uh, is the writer uh, Luke O'Neill. I forget how or or what the tweet was or anything like that, but I just, I think he he said something along along the lines of, like, you know you tweeted something really bad when you get an ad for Eastern Span or whatever it was. That was, like, the first step to, like... some sort of like recognition from uh, like other reporters, other like blue check journalists and things like that, um, that then they started, I guess, to re push it out there from sort of like another angle that wasn't just me. Um, And then for, and then also there were sort of the randoms that started to like recognize me and follow me. And then they started to kind of do it on their own as well. But yeah, that was so that I would say that was kind of this this step or the trajectory. Like that was the next boost up was like the Luke O'Neill like tweet recognizing it, I guess. And then from there, uh, other people like, you know, saying the same thing along the same lines. And then it just then it just became um, it became a way for people to like, I think, to be in on the joke a little bit, but also to like have a dismissive reaction to an obvious, like awful clout seeking or just or a normal tweet basically i guess like like every tweet that i I was kind of like putting it on you know a lot of people say they're the worst tweets 
but I wasn't really going off of that because they're probably the best tweets because they're doing what the website's designed to do. Right, right. They're generating the most engagement. And then your tweets are sitting somewhere in what Ryan Broderick from Garbage Day likes to call like this uncanny valley of virality, right? Where your replies are almost a meta commentary on the platform itself because the replies are amazingly hilarious. Um, they are ridiculously funny. And they're also a commentary on the sad state of the website. Right. I mean, everyone's trying to sell something on the website. And like, even if they don't have a link to something, they're trying to sell a podcast, they're trying to sell a career, they're trying to sell, you know, at some point, they'll uh, just try to sell uh, just more followers or something like you tweet to get followers. you don't you tweet to like, get engagement in some capacity. And then like, that, uh, you know, helps you in, in whatever weird ways it could help you. And so all the, all my like dumb tweets do is be like a little more explicit of what everyone's trying to do on the website. <laughs> so like you see this because when everyone's taught, when everyone like does a big tweet and then, you know, link to my SoundCloud or, or link to whatever good cause or whatever things like that, like, which is all fine and I don't care, but it's like, I'm, I am trying to take away a little bit of that like action, I guess. Yeah, but I feel like your approach in particular is particularly wonderful. And it's because uh, at the time when you started this campaign, you were promoting Eastern Span. And that book focused heavily on homelessness in Oakland. And your strategy was not just trying to grift on Twitter. It was also donating like 700 copies to housing insecure or homeless folks to allow them to sell them to passerby. So on one hand, you're donating your book to allow uh, people to benefit from it and monetarily from your book. And on the other hand, you're kind of trolling like the khaki pants mafia or the intellectual dark web people. So you're doing a wonderful thing for the folks on the ground. And then you're also trolling the elite. <laughs> I mean, I, I do think like, especially like with Eastern Span specifically, like one, like one of those approaches kind of led to the other, which was like, because like I, you know, I was really happy with how um, it was it was being sold on the street in uh, Oakland and San Francisco by uh, the homeless or housing insecure folks who, yeah, they would uh, they basically had a bunch of copies and then they would sell them for 20 bucks a pop or whatever the donation and they'd get to keep all the money. So at the end of the day, they probably, yeah, they probably raise like $14,000 or whatever it is for for those folks, uh, which is great. And I'm super happy with and like I'm. I'm very like proud of that. But because of that, I think it gave me a little bit of like, I really don't give a shit about like, like who, what they're, you're going to talk shit about me who like, who raised money for, for people because I'm like tweeting or something. And so I kind of, because I had that in my like back pocket in some way, I just, I lost any type of shame or any type of like, like, I don't give a shit. Like, what are they going to do? Like, who cares? They're going to yell at me for tweeting or something. And you weren't even publicizing that. That was just something you went out and did. Well, yeah, that was like, that was a few years back. Yeah. And so like there was, it was, I mean, I publicized that it was happening when it was happening, but then they sold out, uh, you know, relatively quickly. And so once that, once they were sold out, then yeah, it was just like, all right, I have to get rid of these 300 copies in some way. The infrastructure for sort of that like type of distribution model uh, because like in the Bay Area, there are the street newspapers, uh, which is like, uh, you know, newspapers made by homeless folks about homeless issues. And there's already kind of like a distribution infrastructure there that I, I knew some people and I kind of like, do you want to be a part of this or would you do this? And they said, yeah, and all that stuff. But nothing like that exists in New York. So that wasn't really a route here when I, after I moved here. And so it was like, 
well, I got to get, I got to find a way to like get rid of these somehow else. Yeah. And it's, it's a truly wonderful thing, especially after you get blocked by someone like Glenn Greenwald. <laughs> and, and can you maybe tell that story about how you, number one, began to respond to Glenn and number two, how you, he, how he ended up banning you? <laughs> that was like, that was, well, so no, I think he just blocked me because I was making, I called him an asshole or something like that. Like I didn't, it was like, I think it was before, I don't know if it was before Eastern Span, but it was like unrelated. I mean, what I did, if I remember correctly, was he at some point was attacking a lot of female journalists for whatever, or I don't know, he was doing something. Taylor Lorenz or or the like. That's right. Taylor Lorenz. Exactly. And so I, uh, I did a really crude Photoshop of him, his, his face uh, on top of the Kool-Aid man's face as he's busting through a wall. And said something like, "Whenever Glenn sees like a female journalist like tweeting or something like that, I forget what it was, but he blocked me on that. But that had that did not have anything to do with with Eastern Span or the Reply guys. Although now that I have a new account because my old account got s- suspended because I flew a little too close to the sun with some uh, celebrity impersonation, I am no longer blocked by Glenn. So I, I do." Uh, replied now and then and it's i haven't had much success with him yet you will i mean you mentioned flying a little bit too close to the sun in some instances what are what are those moments and have you ever tweeted something and and gone back and said wow maybe i shouldn't have done that (laughs) i mean the one that i regret a bit is after bill cosby got released it was like a whole bunch of news articles about that and i knew it was going to be like the day's big topic and i didn't you know i didn't have a comment about it much or anything i just was like i knew people were going to be talking about this and i wasn't sure if i should put an ad under those stories because you know it's the topic isn't that funny or anything like that but it was still like people it was like the day's news and a lot of twitter is about like basically news organizations trying to profit off of this type of thing. So even if they're not doing any reporting, they still have their own, like we have a tweet about the same thing. So um, to get hit, to get engagement and stuff like that. So I felt like there was something to trying to, you know, capitalize on that incentive that these news organizations have just to kind of like copy and paste whatever news article they're getting in order to try to like get hits, not to give any like extra spin or something. So I did put it on like a handful of those, but I probably, that, I needed to like kind of do it, I guess, to see that I shouldn't do it. <laughs> like as soon as I did it, I'm like, nah, this doesn't feel right. That that would that one I would take back, I guess. And it's it's interesting. You you've pushed the boundaries, um, and in a lot of ways, that's made you successful. Most reply guys have been banned at a point. I mean, I think what rightfully or wrongfully, when I think of a reply guy, I think of the brothers, the Krasenstein brothers, who are maybe the most infamous reply guys of all time. Were you hoping to be? more Krasenstein brothers or were you hoping to be more starry projector or like vibrator reply commodity guy? I mean, there's, there's no hope or there's no plan. It's really just like, I have these books I got to get rid of and I, I want to find out new ways to do that. And so like the thing that got me suspended was uh, I, I began to impersonate accounts uh, by people who haven't been online for a long time. So like, like Yashar Ali was the first one, I think. And so he's been gone ever since that like LA magazine, I think, uh, profile about him. And so he just kind of disappeared. And so I 
I mean, I I changed, you know, my name and I I changed the picture and that type of stuff. I got the the rest I like I didn't do like a great like impersonation job. Like anyone that would have taken two seconds, I think, would have known like, oh, this guy's fake. Like my handle is my handle. But so I did that and then like I just tweeted something like after being gone for so long, I've thought about a lot of things and I have like I just want to get a few things off my chest. And then the second tweet was like the ad for the book. And so like people and people started to like spread that first because it was a two part thing. And so like the first part where people would like spread because they they were in on the joke. They're like, oh, this is a really important thread or whatever. Like they're all trying to like, you know, punk their friends or whatever. So they see like Yashara leads like mug, like scroll past a timeline or something, which is fun. And like, I think people got like a lot of got a kick out of trying to like, I don't know, scam their friends or whatever by like pushing it out. And so that like did well. I did that a few times. And then I did. Yeah. The last one I did was Virgil, Texas, uh, who was, yeah, Chapo and then um, Chapo Trap House and Bad Faith podcast and then he kind of got uh some accusations about i don't i don't even know i didn't really follow it too much but it's not good stuff on twitter and he kind of just bounced and hasn't been on twitter for months and months and so i changed my change did the same thing changed the name changed the profile pic and said uh you know so i have a lot of explaining to do and then the second tweet was an ad for the book and that really hit hard um very like that one, within a few hours, it had gotten a few million hits and things like that. Like, it was crazy. And then at the height of it, as it was still going and still becoming, like, kind of, like, on fire, uh, I got, like, the little notification that your, my account's been suspended. So somebody complained uh, and something happened. And so that was it. And then, but that was good, I think, because after the suspension, then people, then, then there was um, a call to action from other people of, like, we have to, like protect rick and all this all this dumb shit um and i had like another count ready to go so then i just kind of put it out there that i'm at this other place and people started following me again and all that stuff so you didn't have to go to gab or mines or any other website (laughs) you just stuck on twitter i love it how has your experience selling books on twitter changed your perception of twitter or what has it made you realize um that's a good question. I mean, I think a few things, I guess. I mean, the, the first thing is just like, you know, it, it kind of just reinforced a lot of the aspects of Twitter that I already thought, which was, you know, it's designed to provoke rage and it's designed to like, it's not designed to like provoke thought or whatever, or like have conversations. It's like designed to make people really angry and then for other people to kind of promote how angry they are to get more people angry at things and and that type of thing. And so like, because those are the ones that like, I will put ads on that will like have the most success. And so that to me is some type of like proof. That is what the website's doing. It's, it's promoting like rage and hate and all this stuff. And I guess, so that's one thing. I, I think another thing is like, definitely like the clout based, like mechanisms of how the website works is, is interesting and maybe not as uh, examined as it should be. Like something like the quote tweet kind of promote like it promotes like an atmosphere where you basically, you know, someone says something and then you say, hey, look at this dumb person. I'm smarter than this person. Um, and and it also does a thing because because now and then I would get shit on for my tweets, like like someone would like, you know, reply back to me like you suck and all this stuff. But then I would quote tweet them with like a little thing and I would sick my like sick fo- like my followers against them or something. And so like. 
And so that was a thing that was kind of like fun to experiment with a little bit too. Just like kind of drive people who are your fans towards an an enemy and how like having an enemy, even if it, 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 it's all bullshit. But I when I say enemy, I don't mean like enemy enemy. I just mean like um, in order to like build clout in on Twitter and and kind of through a lot of uh, other forms of like liberal like liberalistic like conversational like politics and stuff like you need an antagonistic force and in order to get the friction needed for the heat for clout you need an antagonistic force whether or not they like have any real power or even care at all but you need like something that you can like (laughs) sick people against so these are all like i don't know that these are all help these are good lessons or these like are are they're like helpful to know i guess if you're like reading any type of like political interaction and things like that. But as far as like the website goes, like it's trash and like should be dumped in like the deepest pit in hell. And, uh, and we would be way better off if it, it no longer existed. Yeah. I, I I'm with you, but at the same time you would have sold way fewer books. And while wh- I just would have had it, I just would have had to do something different. <laughs> I would, I would have had to knock door to door or something. The books are getting out no matter what. So that attitude is what I love so much about your enthusiasm. I, I was researching your career to prepare for this interview and you wrote this amazing piece about basically the illusion of writing and, and what obtaining that thing would look like you've written for mainstream outlets, but it, it kind of hit you while you were uh, somewhere in the Southwest uh, that maybe like the six hundred dollars or whatever commission you were being offered for that piece was it really worth it, right? And so you've you've shifted your career, right, from that place of optimism and a freelance career to a place of optimism with your book career and your publishing career because you've now published two books. You have several hundred copies of uh, Palmer Hotel remaining, but you've already announced the third book. And so what keeps you optimistic and do you really love the Twitter strategy? Do you love the challenge? What, what drives your optimism? I, I don't know that I would say I'm an optimist necessarily. (laughs) I mean, I would say that like I'm addicted to writing and it's like a thing that like for me personally, it keeps me somewhat sane and it keeps me like, uh, you know, it's like therapeutic and that type of thing. And I like, you know, working out stories and, and like the freelance stuff is, it is what it is. It's just annoying because of the you know market incentives that are included in that and all that stuff. And so like being able to kind of write uh, fiction on the side without, you know, where it's just mine and I don't have to deal with um, it being popular or it, it needing to like uh, get hit hits right away. Like Eastern Span I've been I've had for five years, you know, and so like there's a longer like tail or there's a longer like window, I guess, when it comes to just like self-publishing books, I guess, as opposed to uh, just, you know, writing a blog or writing an article that like within 24 hours, everyone reads and nor no one reads and and that's kind of it. But I mean, I think it just is like, it's just something I'm going to do no matter what. And if people want to read it, that's their problem, I guess. <laughs> like, like I'm going to, I'm going to write them. You know, I have, I have some pe- people edit it. I have some people do the artwork. I like the whole like thing. I like, I love like, um, you know, designing it. Like I design every page on like Adobe uh, in design. Like I do like all that shit. Like I love it. Like it makes it super fun to like, uh, you know, expand the image a little bit bigger or to like, just, like change this word uh, just so it fits on the page better than it used to. And like, 
uh, and changing with the fonts and that type of shit. And so it's like that I'm going to do as long as like I have a brain, I think. And then, you know, print them out and hopefully if people like them, they like them. And if not, then I'm work- I'm working on the next book anyway. So I don't really give a shit. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's amazing. I feel like you're continuing to publish in this hellscape. Like we're we're in a hell world and you're both allowing yourself to do something incredibly fun while also making this hell world a little bit more fun. So thank you. Thank you for your work. Well, thank you. So thank you. all this being said, you'll be at uh, the Meme in the Moment Festival on October 27th. And I'm incredibly excited for you to be there. Uh, you'll be signing books for people. I, I will. I will sign whatever name they, they want me to sign. Excellent. Excellent. And um, uh, Rick, where can people find you? People can find me on Twitter. It's probably the best place. It's at Paulus Rick. It's P-A-U-L-A-S-R-I-C-K. Or they could find me at my Venmo if they want to send $20 that way to Rick-Paulus. And if they include an address, they'll get a copy of the Palmer Hotel shipped right to them. And if they don't? And if they don't include an address, then I will probably ask them for an address. And then <laughs> and then we'll figure that out some way. Thanks again to Rick for joining me on the Digital Void podcast. You can join Rick, as well as an all-star lineup of speakers, for Digital Void's Halloween-themed Meme in the Moment Festival, live at Caveat this Wednesday, October 27th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Tickets and live streams are now available via Caveat NYC or digitalvoid.media. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we'll see you there.